This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Good morning, part two. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, if you actually listen to these things in order, you're probably listening to the second one if you are listening in chronological, chronological order, I should say. But if you are just coming into this new one, welcome to the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. My name is Sam LaCrosse. I am your host. And I just recorded the new podcast that was supposed to, and the blog post was supposed to come out last week, yesterday. This is the day after. It is on a Tuesday afternoon. And I'm now recording this one off a former post I wrote about, you know, actually, it's, it's, it's funny because I finished this post on October 24th of last year. I actually didn't know this until I pulled it up now. And this is going to be published on October 24th of this year. So that's, that's actually very interesting. So it's my grandma's birthday on Sunday. So it's my grandma's birthday today. So happy birthday, grandma. I know you don't listen to this because you probably would have disowned me by this point. But... Uh, mm. So it's actually funny. So this is a year after this, and I don't know of the, if the topic of this post has necessarily uh, gone away. Actually, I, I, I would probably hazard a guess that it hasn't. I would think it probably has gotten worse, unfortunately. But this was a post that I was trepidatious to write about just because it is such a loaded topic for a lot of people, particularly women, I'm assuming. And um, it was just kind of so, like, it was bothering me, so I knew I probably had to write about it, and I wanted to flush it out and see if my argument held any water, which I still think it does. Uh, I hardly read any of my posts after I publish them, or especially if I'm a podcast, and I hate the sound of my own voice. So, you know, it's gonna—it's always interesting going back into these old ones and seeing kind of what I wrote, what my thought was, what my argument was, what my, what my position on something was. And I think this one's going to stay relatively the same, and I think that, you know, when we get into it, I obviously have to adjust about things and other shit like that, you know. But I think um, just I think getting into it with everything that we have to uh, you know go on everything going on in our culture right now, I think it's you know I think it's an important discussion to have about health about wellness. I mean the last the last post is about mental health. This is about physical health, and I think it would be actually uh, that's something I didn't plan either. So it's interesting. So it's going to be a good yin and yang to kind of see how everything you know works out between those two. So let's just get into it. So. I am going to get an unbelievable amount of shit from this for people who don't like this. So I'm pumped up. I'm really excited. However, I'll butter the mob and our ruling class up by doing something I rarely do. Speak well of a celebrity. So in early May of 2020, British singer Adele posted an Instagram picture of her after a 100-pound weight loss. This is a massive achievement for anyone. 100 pounds is no joke. Adele was always an attractive woman facially, but now she has the body to match. And we should be happy for her, in my opinion. But this is now 2021. We don't get happy for people anymore. Not when it's at the expense of our own ego. Online critiques ranging from low-traffic internet bloggers like myself to CNN commented with Bill Maher-esque pessimism on how this is a problem. It makes other people feel bad, they said. What should we think about this? Social justice warriors and hardcore conservatives called her out. The mob and the anti-mob showing out in full motherfucking phys act. Like... Snoop Dogg said, yes, Snoop Dogg, he uses this, he uses everything, like Snoop Dogg said. But, naturally, the defenders of the reasonable came out as well. Joe Rogan and Tony Hinchcliffe weighed in, pun absolutely intended, on the phenomenon in pure comedic fashion. Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire quickly pointed out the headassery of the people calling out Adele in defense of their lack of esteem about their own physical condition. Quote, 
not everyone is, everything is about you, you ridiculous narcissist, end quote, were his words. And this is a conservative political commentator defending a Grammy award-winning celebrity. Two plus two does not equal four here. Something's up. That something is the movement going around called body positivity. The definition of body positivity cannot be found in any reputable dictionary on the inter internet. I wonder why that is. So Wikipedia will have to do until the mob asserts their virtue into that realm. And that definition reads, quote, A social movement created to empower and shed light on plus-size women and men while challenging the ways in which society presents and views the physical body, end quote. Now, on its face, there seems to be nothing wrong with this. People that identify with this movement are not worth less than the people that are not. They still can live lives of meaning and pursue whatever they want to pursue within reason, as long as it's not harming or infringing upon anyone else's ability to do the same. And we should certainly not shame someone for anything they, not control, they cannot control, such as their ethnicity or gender. But this podcast and the blog that corresponds with it deals with depth, not things at face value. There are a lot of definitions that are similar to this definition. Ones that dance around the true issue of something and what that something entails in order to make people feel better. It's a form of avoidance and of mindless positivity. They're inherently the same thing. They try to put a band-aid over the issue, while at the same time discrediting their own position with ignoring what the issue actually entails. For example, at the time, I was seeing a girl who lives in the historic neighborhood of South Boston. Her parents lived there when they were going to law school. It's a common place for frat and sorority college graduates to go and drink beers on rooftops and walk around with shirts unbuttoned on the front nowadays. Some people might call that kids living their lives. Others might call it gentrification, which is more accurate. There was a phrase in 1980s America called, quote, learn to code, which was a poor attempt to encourage people to become the next Bill Gates or Paul Allen to form a company like Microsoft. It sounded nice in its face. Its actual translation, though? You people are stupid. You're below everyone, you dirty factory worker and tradesman. Don't end up like them, kids. Go make something of yourself, or you'll end up in the same dirty place as these men and women work. Some people want to call small percentage decreases on hedge funds, quote, economic liquidity. What it really is, more breaks for the ruling class tycoons on Wall Street causing excessive excess. We saw this with the Wall Street bets rallies in early, early of this year. Some people want to call Medicare for All a, quote, basic human right. What it really is, is lowering the overall quality of health care for everyone while making those same people foot the bill. We will get to this part in fact later. Some people want to call outrageous frat behavior and hazing, quote, boys being boys. What it really is, is toxic immaturity. None of this is that simple, is what the point is. It never is. But we should tread very lightly about how fast and hard that these lines are drawn. So back to body positivity. In my post about mental health, I proposed the question of what the broadest trend in American life has been throughout the last 50 years. My answer was that society has become generally more relaxed over that time period. I stand by that statement, with movements such as civil rights and pride to back me up. <clears throat> Excuse me. But this also has its drawbacks. Mental health is one of them. As in the inclination of people to care less about all things that matter which is where body positivity comes in. As stated in my previous post that was before this, I had just finished the book Make America Healthy Again by Dr. Nicole Safier. It stands as one of the book's best books I read in all of 2020. Fair warning, though. The book is right-leaning. Safier is a Fox News contributor when she's not working as a doctor, and she spares no expense going after some people on the left for certain arguments, which are mostly policy-related. But that's not what I'm going to be talking about in this podcast. The thesis of Safir's book can be boiled down into one thing, personal responsibility. Only through personal responsibility of our own health can we take our health into our own hands. This seems simple. And you know what else is simple? Data. So here's some data for you. Per Safir's cited research in the book, up to 80% of cardiovascular disease and 40% of cancers can be preventable by simple lifestyle changes. Nearly one in five American deaths is associated with a poor diet. People who could do more than 40 time push-ups within a certain period were 96 less likely to develop a cardiovascular disease at some point in their life. 60 to 75% of Americans are overweight or obese, with that number having risen steadily since 1980. 50% of Americans have diabetes or pre-diabetes by the age of 65. 
an obese person's medical costs are approximately $1,429 higher than a person with normal weight. The Pentagon pays out an average approximately $1.1 billion a year in healthcare costs for obese military personnel and their families. That entire cost is nearly the amount of money that is currently funding the entire VA's association of their healthcare system. 80% of Americans don't eat according to the CDC's recommended diet. Well, you can say all you want about the CDC, but the point is a lot of Americans aren't eating what they should be eating. If Americans reduce sodium intake by 1,200 milligrams per day, we could save $20 billion in medical costs per year. We spend $249 billion a year on excessive alcohol consumption. And there was a 61% rise in alcohol-related emergency room visits in America between 2006 and 2015. 14% of Americans still use tobacco, which costs America over $300 billion a year for medical treatment, with first-hand smoke killing more than 480,000 people a year and second-hand killing 42,000. People are so afraid of completely unfounded conspiracy theories about vaccines that measles, a disease thought to be eradicated decades ago, and HPV are running rampant, comparatively speaking. 80% of sexually active people will contract HPV in their life, with 14 million new infections occurring every single year. So after that word soup, are you scared yet? Good, you, you should be. The saddest part about all those above statistics is that they are all within our individual control, with the one exception being biologically induced diabetes. The correlation of the broadcast, broadest trend of social relaxation and the cessation of personal responsibility is right in front of us. But yet, curiously, we choose not to see it. Instead, we get absolute bullshit shenanigans from our ruling class, degrading Adele for dramatically reducing her chances for getting most all of these things in that paragraph, if she's fortunate enough to not have the damage done as of yet. Idiot ruling class members like Jessica Biel would rather her children get measles than getting autism, a claim completely unfounded and flat-out morally outrageous in any context of conversation. Shameless celebrities like Lizzo twerking outside courtside at Lakers games in fishnets is a sad attempt to show that her morbid fatness doesn't faze her. She probably hasn't read the above paragraph. Actually, check that. She probably completely ignored it, because most people in her position do. This trend, naturally, affects more women than men. While a guy being in shape matters, women are judged by men and other women largely on physical appearance. It's not a, quote, unrealistic beauty standard, whatever the fuck that means. It's just the way the world and our lizard brains work. Life isn't fair, so you might as well get over it now. Even though this is an obvious fact, I always hesitated when bringing it up to my friends, most of whom are female. But you know what? They didn't just agree with me. They agreed with me stronger than I had agreed with myself. I was initially puzzled, but then I came to the realization. These women worked hard for their bodies. They cared about how they looked. Why should women who don't put in the work do, that they do be praised the same? And they were damn right about that. It's the classic paradox manifested. If everyone is something, no one is something. If everyone is beautiful, no one is beautiful. I'm the same way as my female friends and many others. I get up either 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock a.m. every weekday and go to the gym if you didn't think I was a big enough douchebag already. I work out hard six days a week. I follow a strict diet. I need to work on my sleeping habits. I cut out a majority of social media to give my mental health a reprieve. Health is well, so we should take it more seriously. I remember when I went to Italy for a week and a half when I was in college. It's amazing the difference in lifestyle. The people there walked everywhere. They ate real food. They socialize often. They aren't constantly bogged down by one, by one thing or the, the other. There's no such thing as body positivity in places like Italy. We're an absolute joke compared to the rest of the world when it comes to individual responsibility for our health, and Safir's book and other literature that supports it prove it. And the mob has helped facilitate this. The mob has turned against anyone who criticizes people for being out of shape. They turn you into the oppressor, them into the oppressed. They then call you a slew of is and isms until you kneel and shut up and obey. It's perfectly okay for people to poison themselves and piss away their health and wealth. But you know what I say to these people? Fuck you. How dare you encourage someone to be an unhealthy person? How could you possibly encourage someone to kill themselves slowly? In an era where Black Lives Matter and people are scared shitless every day about every damn thing and COVID-19 patients with problems with weight suffer an enormous amount more than those without, how can you so casually dissuade people from caring similarly about their health? I do want to make things clear, however. 
I am in no way, shape, or form saying that people, especially women, who are different body types are bad. I've been friends with, went on dates with, even men in romantic flings and relationships with about every type possible. Tall, short, skinny, thick with like seven C's, different skin colors, different hair colors and styles, you name it. As long as these women take care of themselves and do the right things, their body is their body. I will never disparage them for that. Genetics do play a role here. A wider set of shoulders, a narrower set of hips, and a broader chest when you still eat your vegetables and get your exercise should not be degraded by anyone, especially men. That is toxic immaturity, and do not participate in that. But there's a problem with body positivity. It's perhaps the biggest violation of the third don't, don't be a hypocrite, that I've ever seen. And to dissect and destroy it, we need to look at why body positivity is hypocritical, the attitude we need to shift towards, and how we can flip the switch from body positivity is to what it should look like. Oh, and if any of you know Lizzo, tell her to call me. We need to have a talk here about carbohydrates and whether she chooses to park in the parking lot. But before that talk occurs, <clears throat> I need to first get it off my chest about why body positivity is hypocritical. As an extreme violation of the third don't, as I said earlier, this cannot stand. When you only have four measurable things that you can use in order to screen things out of your life, you better draw hard lines. The four don'ts, if you haven't read that. It's uh, don'treadthisblog.com, and there's a podcast on it earlier, I believe. The first and most obvious reason, that is, it is indeed not positive to be unhealthy. Those two things are completely negatively correlated. There is no creation that results from accepting unhealthy behavior that, isn't, that is killing you, quite literally. Carbohydrates, particularly simple carbohydrates, stimulate the same part of your brain as cocaine and heroin. There's a reason for this. They both release dopamine, as we talked about last week. They both make you feel good in the short term. Last week, last podcast, I should say. That's why the term food addiction is gaining popularity, as it probably should, according to the medical professionals. But that's no excuse for succumbing to something that is harmful for you. I've been addicted to food before. It's easy to slip into, believe me. When I was a senior in high school, I weighed 230 pounds from playing offensive line in football and throwing discus and shot put in track and field. I had a strict diet passed down by my coaches that entailed 4,500 calories split up into five to seven designated eating times per day. I was just being a good teammate and doing what I was told, and many others did the same. I had been that way for a good portion of my life dating back to middle school. I was an offensive lineman, so I was supposed to be big in order to move people. That's just how football works. I was labeled as obese by my doctor for the majority of my childhood and all of my teenage years. My mom strongly objected, and it hurt my feelings for a long time. But it didn't change the fact that I was fat. I was obese. I was eating way too many calories. I wasn't burning enough off of them. Do I think doctors should realize the circumstances of high school athletes regardless of gender and try to tailor them? I do. I don't think that football or soccer players or basketball players who are highly active all the time should be measured similarly to those who are not nearly as much so. But the standard must be set, and those children must be educated. The doctor told me not what I wanted to hear, but what I needed to hear. There were some things that needed to change, or else there would be consequences. So when I left football and started to get into better shape, I dropped 20 pounds immediately and had to work my ass off to get the next 35 off. Since I had been working out hard for years, that wasn't the problem. But, like most things, the input matter much more than what you do with them in the outputs. My food addiction persisted. I suffered from anxiety and compulsive desires to eat the same crap that I'd shoved in my body for the past four years. But after a while, I was able to get it weaned off most of the bad stuff and get onto a strict diet, particularly after I educated myself and made my own financial decisions about what I ate. I never made my parents specifically cater to me. But what also happened during this time was an enhanced perception of my overall positivity of my self-worth. Being fat in high school doesn't get you many places socially, especially with the ladies. They wanted quarterbacks and linebackers and defensive backs, not the big guys who didn't get to touch the ball except for the center. And the quarterback basically massages his nuts half the time. My sense of bodily shame overwhelmed me for years, lasting all the way until I was in college, and I'm still affected by this. That was not a positive experience at all. Confusing it as one would simply be a delusion. I feel much better at my current weight of 185 than I could have ever felt at 230. I sleep better, I don't feel like shit all the time, I don't look at myself and feel shame, at least most of the time. With body positivity in effect, all of this goes away. Our food addictions and lack of exercise is slowly killing us as a nation. 
Our increasingly sedentary lifestyle, a good thing in large part because of advancements in technology and the lack of chucking dynamite at one another in coal mines, coupled with big food and their cheap methods of cooking up edible things with fats, preservatives, salts, and sugars, paired with our own lack of personal responsibility, is quite literally a deadly combination. It is not a good thing to be willingly unhealthy and pump our bodies full of garbage. Feeling good about it only makes it worse and will probably lead to an escalation of the problem through our own ignorance of it. That's a violation of the second don't. Don't be ignorant. People should be told to steer clear of unhealthiness. We do it mostly with alcohol. Actually, I don't even know if this is true. We do it with alcohol mostly and drugs. Why don't we do it with how we take care of ourselves in other ways? We throw ourselves in tanning booths that have empirical evidence of spreading the spreading of cancer. We exchange cigarettes for jewels and vapes because there isn't any nicotine in it, apparently. Newsflash, there's a lot of other bad shit in it. The data's coming in on that, too. We, quote, don't have the time to cook at home, so we eat takeout filled with artificial ingredients and preservatives much too often. The average American eats between, between four and five non-home-cooked meals per week, usually a dinner where their whole family can ingest in the same poison. But this problem cuts two ways. The first is the way I just described, where bad behavior continues to go without consequence, and with people not truly recognizing that they are burdening themselves with consequences that they don't understand. The second is perhaps even more malicious, the tearing down of people who do do it the right way. The people who invest the time and effort in following the life-defining principle in order to get what they want, which is to be healthy. The same people that encourage body and false positivity simultaneously condemn the actual positive behavior and relegate it to shame. They say that healthy people cannot be healthy because it makes people feel bad. This is exactly the thing that got Adele in hot, into hot water in my intro. It's why things like the Victoria's Secret fashion show aren't a thing anymore. While we can debate how healthy these women are, what we can't, de cannot debate is that they are significantly more healthy than a person who is morbidly obese, generally speaking. But yet we cannot air it and showcase beauty. The mob will not allow it. The very stigma of beauty, which most people have to work for, women in particular, is under siege. The body positivity movement is not one of elevation, but of vengeance. They're not uplifting people. They're bringing the people on the top down, and the standards of excellence they set with it. It's not far from Marxism, if you think about it. We don't like the system, so we rip the system to shreds. And this, obviously, is a problem for a multitude of reasons. First and foremost, it simply is not ethically or morally right to do this. We should not demean a group of people for striving to be better for the simple reason that some people might be upset. Life has winners and losers. We should celebrate winners because they prove as the models for excellence on how a good life is lived. This is universally true in almost all cases, whether that be beauty, politics, sports, whatever. We should not, however, demean losers either. We should acknowledge their failure and give them help so that they can elevate themselves if they so choose to. We cannot do the work for them because that would be counterintuitive. But it's no fun to feel like you don't have a chance to escape. That's called pandering and it happens too often nowadays. I'm a Browns fan. It's not fun to suck all the time and feel like there isn't any hope in the bleak abyss of NFL awfulness. I would not wish that despair on anyone, particularly when it's something as critically serious as taking care of your health. This is also problematic because of the whole, quote, Marxist destruction of standards thing. We have been on a slippery slope for a long time in terms of health, with body positivity being the latest excuse that we succumb to. We've gotten fatter and more unhealthy over the years, as I mentioned earlier. Our standards are slipping. This is not good. When standards decrease, the quality to meet those standards decreases as well. A wide decrease in quality eventually leads to failure. Just ask any business owner ever. A wide decrease in the quality of the health of Americans would be catastrophic. Our healthcare system is already a mess. More sick and unhealthy people would make that problem worse. And this is exactly the point that Dr. Safir was making. The quickest way to alleviate a lot of the strain on America's health and health systems is to simply get less and less people to become sick. We cannot do this if we do not have models to look to for inspiration. We do not become beholden to them or need to become beholden to them, but they should serve as proper examples for a life well lived in terms of health. But through the lens of body positivity, this is all washed away in terms of pandering and shaming of people who do the right things take personal responsibility, and get themselves taken care of for their own good and those who depend on them. The deplatforming and shaming of people who are doing the right things to take care of themselves must stop immediately. 
We need these people to be beacons for people to look up to. Succumbing to body positivity and letting unhealthy behavior run rampant will only lead to more unhealthy behavior. It is hypocritical to think that getting rid of positive behavior is a positive thing, and don't let it fuck your head up. Finally, body positivity has roots in hypocrisy because of the sheer avoidance of the actual changes needed to be a positive person in terms of your health. Mindless positivity, if you remember, is avoidance, nothing else. When you shroud your health in endless reams of positivity, you, you end up corrupting it and cutting it off from what true body positivity actually is. Body positivity promotes the shunning of responsibility in terms of intact feelings. This is the wrong approach. Responsibility is most often always the correct answer when dealing with a personal issue. You can nearly always take more of it. When you do, it will be more, like, more than likely to make your current situation better. What this does is invert your locus of control from inwards to outwards. It takes you out of the driver's seat and places you on the side of the victimhood, another violation of, the don't, of don't number four in this case. It forces you to blame someone else for your problems, a model, the system, the patriarchy maybe, I don't know, instead of taking ownership of them yourself. But as we know, most victimhood is not victimhood at all. It's simply another form of avoidance. You shun responsibility because you feel that someone else owes you something. This has become incredibly unpopular in the last couple of years. Update. Your suffering isn't special. And the reason is because everyone suffers in their own individual way. Saying that your suffering is, quote, better than someone else's is about as narcissistic of a comment as you can make. The issue here is not putting people down for the sake of putting them down but in the sheer avoidance of the hard truths that come with the most worthwhile things in life. It's impossible to say that your health is not one of these things. Those hard truths must be faced head-on and dealt with accordingly. But that doesn't mean that they have to suck. The truth is awesome. It lays out a blueprint and methodologies of what we need to do in order to be successful at a variety of things. And that is true body positivity. And that is what we shall get to next. So if you haven't noticed, if you haven't spent much time on my blog or my podcast, or if you're a new listener in that case, welcome. <laughs> I hate the word positivity so much, in fact, that I wrote a whole post about it, in other words, like it a while back. But I will also be the first to admit that it is not the word itself that I have disdain for. Very few words have a purely negative or positive connotation to them. It's almost in the usage. And that is where we run into the trouble with the word positivity. It is not the same thing as optimism, which we covered in the Mindless Positivity article. While optimism is looking forward and striving towards a brighter future, positivity is simply acting in a certain way regardless of circumstances. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see where and why this could cause potential problems. Therefore, I say we do away with positivity. It's simply too easy to slip down the slippery slope into the hellish environment of unhealthiness that we currently find ourselves in. Body optimism is a better way to go about it, in my opinion. Instead of simply sitting like in a burning house like the dog meme and telling us that everything is fine, this mindset will tell us that everything may not be fine, but we can change it through our own determination, hard work, and willpower. Cheesy as shit, I know. The first aspect of body optimism that I would like to propose is the core of the personal philosophy that I have towards my own health holistically. This tenant is being completely and continuously self-aware about all aspects of our health, not just the ones being put in magazines or on social media. It is not constructive nor useful to compare our own health to that of anyone else's. For one, you don't know that person and what they're dealing with, even with the outside seemingly doing okay. Second, their health is irrelevant to your own health. You need to look at yourself, not at others, to discover what can be improved and what needs to be fixed. For example, for physical exercise, I spend most of my time lifting weights. I'm a former offensive lineman and thrower, remember? I don't do well with the whole cardio thing, even, when I'm running, even though I'm running a marathon in two weeks. I work it in by running a mile before every lift to warm myself up, and for a bit longer runs in my non-lifting days and a really long run in two weeks. But that's about it. If I can credit myself with any kind of athletic ability, it would be simply moving heavy objects and people. I've moved now 
15 times in the last five years, it's come in handy, believe me. Weightlifting has great benefits. It builds up your bone and muscle structure by breaking them down through strain. This is why every woman should do some sort of lifting to, to prevent osteoporosis, an affliction more, much more common in women than in men. It protects your internal organs and the other squishy things in your body from harm. It allows you to do more things around the house and to live a more active lifestyle. And believe it or not, the average time in the gym doing weight-bearing exercise burns more calories than the same amount of time doing cardio if you calculate time for recovery. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, you sons of Satan that run seven miles a day. I guess I'm one of those now. I don't know. But naturally, I run to the stereotypical gym guys all the time. I do not like these people. This type of personality is highly skewed towards men, but I've seen women occasionally who are not much better. These are the drink two Red Bulls during the lift while wearing a wife beater and cargo shorts and only lifting chests and take steroids, guys. They're the worst. They think they own the gym and that their egos and the time spent there matter much more than the rest of the other people there that are actually trying to get better. Which brings me to a side point that I think is worth bringing up. This is body optimism. So, if you see a person working out that is obviously uncomfortable and or scared shitless, go over and introduce themselves. I actually did this other, the other day with a guy who's learning how to lift at my gym. You should never put someone down because they don't know how to lift, or if they're fat and are getting back into shape for the first time in years. That is a sign of weakness by you, not strength. These people are incredibly brave for putting themselves in a vulnerable position in order to better their lives, and we owe it to them as citizens and as decent people to help them out. So back to gym douchebags, guys. I know a lot of them. They're in great shape in the gym. They have big muscles and can push and pull a lot of weight. But that doesn't make them body optimistic. They could be on steroids. They treat their mind like shit by poisoning it with bad car renovation shows and internet porn. They probably don't eat as good as they should. That's the vaunted dad bod in full effect. They take care of themselves in this one way, but they could not be taking care of themselves in any other way. In order to be body optimistic, you need to respect your, the, the way your body actually looks. Your bone structure, skin color, and gender all play roles in this. You cannot want to change something that is not changeable, or at least it takes a good amount of surgery to change. But should you? I would argue not. A big problem I have in society is our lack of security within ourselves, more commonly called insecurity. A lot of people have a problem with it, as they should. But I think our culture goes about it wrong. We're so focused on what we don't have and what we lack that we don't focus on what we do have. We don't focus on our strengths enough. While our weaknesses must be addressed in some fashion, it's borderline criminal to not address what we do well with equal vigor. And this is where the first tenet of body optimism, self-awareness, comes in. You must know all of yourself, the good and the bad, in order to progress towards improvement on both sides of the equation. This is what gym lungs and the practitioners of the body positivity movement don't get. You need to lift your legs too. You, you can't ignore them. You need to focus on the parts of your body that aren't great as just as much of the parts that are. That is where holistic improvement comes in and allows you to kick ass. Being self-aware about all parts of your health, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, will lead you to transcend the low-brow notions of body positivity and allow you to become something greater than simply being what you accept yourself as being. For points I will make after this, it is largely important that you do this. Your quality of life and the quality of those around you will depend heavily on it. And that is where I want to transition next. Where I would like to transition next by saying, is by saying that your body deserves a certain amount of respect. It is the vessel in which your physical embodiment resides. You live in it for about 78 years if you're a man and a little longer if you're a woman. Mostly because women generally don't do the dumb shit that men do like the aforementioned throwing lit sticks of dynamite at one another while in a coal mine in West Virginia. Your body deserves proper respect and overall body optimism because you need optimism in order to live a life of meaning and worth. If you have nothing that you can improve upon in order to live well, what the fuck is the point of living or doing anything? Your health, especially your physical health, has a huge role to play in this. If you succumb to the body positivity narrative by throwing your rose-colored glasses over four nights of alcohol and four months off the treadmill, you're going to have some problems. But why? Why should you treat your body with respect? It is your body, after all. You should be able to do what you want with it, right? Wrong. Instead of doing with, with it what you want, you should do with it what is right. And what is right 
which is similarly true in almost every case, is treating it with respect. There are two reasons why you should do this, two whys. One is a selfish reason, and the other is a selfless reason. And since we're all selfish pieces of garbage anyway, let's take that medicine first. The selfish reason that you should treat your body with respect and practice body optimism is that it is good for you to do so. It simply leads to, to a better life. Physically, you'll be able to do more things. You'll be able to wear tight shirts and make awkward flexes when you lean your elbow on a bar while making eye contact with a woman across from you. You'll be able to play with your kids after you get out of your work-from-home environment. Your sex will be better and last longer. These are good things. But we also must reconcile with the bad as well. When you keep your body in bad physical conditions, you release dopamine for all the wrong reasons. For example, if you just ate Snickers bars every day, you would release a shit ton of it. But it would be all for the wrong reasons. After a while, you'll get tolerant to it. It's not much different than any other substance that produces it. Soon you'll be eating all sorts of candy at an unsustainable rate, and these are not good things. Similarly, when you become sedentary by refusing to work out and watch TV and jerk off all day, that feels good too. In the short term. But soon that dopamine will start to wear off too. You'll soon become addicted to Netflix and masturbating. It already happens to too much of us in our population, particularly in males, and you would be wise not to link up with those people. I'm not saying you can't do these activities, but what I am saying is that you'd be better off to skew farther in the other direction. Think of a person you'd like to spend time with. You'd like them to be more like person A than person B. It's been noted in several studies that the better looking and more attractive you are, the better you will do in business. Is it fair? Absolutely not. People should be judged on their merit. But people themselves are imperfect and have unconscious biases, not in the weird, like, wokey social justice way, that have no conceivable way of being contained. It would, therefore, be better to be better looking than not. Men are very physical and visual creatures. We do not go after women we do not find physically attractive very often. As a woman, you would be doing yourself a huge favor should you be looking for a man to look a certain way. It's not sexist, it's just biology. Women are very sensory creatures. They do not go after men who are dumb as a box of rocks and cannot evoke sparks of attraction within said woman. Treating your health like garbage and being a loser won't help you there. How about in the workplace? I've worked in nearly every sector of business imaginable. And I have to say that the common fact about all of these professions is that no one, and I mean no one, respects a person if they don't respect themselves. That's just the way it is. You don't have to come in dressed like Pamela Anderson or have a marble sculpture body like Chris Hemsworth in order to command respect. But you do need to take care of yourself and present yourself accordingly. My parents called that carrying yourself the right way. You will never command respect from anyone if you cannot get your own shit together in order in the first place. But that's the selfish reason. The selfless reason is far more important. The selfless reason is that you should do it for your damn family, Jordan Peterson voice, the people that depend on you and the common good. Dr. Safir's stats in the early going of this podcast are very real. But they're also are all very fixable. Yet we don't live up to them with a nearly the amount of enthusiasm as we should. And our healthcare system is suffering for it. In 2018, health expenditures on cardiovascular disease and stroke totaled a whopping $329 billion in medical costs. $263 billion of that were attributed to factors such as obesity, low physical activity, heavy drinking, and poor diet. All factors within our control. That $263 billion could have used, been better deployed in things like innovation, research, and development and care for people who don't deserve their suffering. But it wasn't. It was simply all pissed away by bad decisions. Now, I'm not here to lecture anyone on anything about healthcare. Just because I read a book on it doesn't mean I'm knowledgeable about, about the subject. I'm not. But I do think I know a thing or two about empathy, as we all do. I'm sure most of you know a family member that cares for another family member with some form of disease. For example, close family friends of ours are dealing with a grandfather who's afflicted with Alzheimer's and a grandmother, not husband and wife, that broke her hip off a bad fall and was confined to a, confined to a wheelchair for six months. And let me tell you, it's brutal to even watch. A lot of the time, they probably feel helpless, particularly in the case of the grandfather. Alzheimer's is a cruel and unfair disease. 
I grew up in a special needs household. When my sister was upset, I remember that paralyzing feeling of helplessness. It wasn't her fault, yet she still suffered, as did the rest of my family. It's built up over time to where it's manageable, mostly attributed to the strength of my family members and the persistence of my sister's spirit, but it's not been an easy journey. With so much unavoidable suffering going on, why would you want to force that on anyone else, specifically the ones you love? Why should they have to foot the bill for your mistakes? And it's not just all physically either. There's an emotional and mental brain drain that comes to these situations. People feel strained and stressed out of their minds because they love the people that are afflicted. To put someone through that when it's not their responsibility is simply not the right thing to do in the slightest. Only a cynic would think that way. And then there are the healthcare professionals. They are unbelievably awesome for the most part. If we have one thing to gain from the beer virus, it's a much-needed wake-up call to how incredible these folks truly are. They deserve much more praise and recognition than they are given. But Dr. Safir has statistics for that as well, and they're not pretty. 300 to 400 doctors kill themselves every single year. That rate is double that of the national average, a number that is too high already. Residencies and fellowships, the gates of hell to guard the gates of heaven of being a higher-level medical professional, require a minimum, most likely more than, 80 hours a week of work while only making 200% of the federal poverty line for a family of four. People are trusting Google and WebMD more than the experts who actually study this shit. I mean the good experts that actually study this shit. As of 2017, medical school applications went down for the first time in decades. People would rather get a JD MBA to start a malpractice law firm. It's more profitable and less work. Also in 2017, a survey by the RN Network shows that almost half the 600 nurses surveyed that they are considering leaving the field, and more than a quarter reported feeling overworked and burned out. I don't know about you, but I would not want to live in a world where we have declining medical professionals, more strained ones that remain in the field, and ones that don't feel like they're appreciated or valued because of stupid shit people see on WMD that may or may not mean a damn thing. That will only lead to more catastrophe, more costs, and more suffering. With body optimism, we can strive towards a future where the people that should be taking care of those actually need it, not those who can prevent it, feel appreciated, and valued. They should be. Like our first responders in military, they are the best of us. This involves not avoiding the hard truths, but going into them and deciding what questions you need to ask in order to improve them. Body positivity is avoiding the truth. Body optimism is confronting it for the betterment of both you and those that depend on you. No more should we as a culture allow our health to become expendable. Rather, we must take our health as personal ownership and try to strive to make it the best we can be. To not do so would be a great disgrace to the blessings we've been given. But how? We need to flip the stigma. We need to begin prioritizing our own health and the health of the collective. We need to make America healthy again, in the words of Dr. Safier. While you don't need to be a populist conservative to identify with that statement, I would recommend some courses of action. First, we must take an inventory. You must do an analysis of everything. Crowdsource from people you trust. Get differing opinions. Try different things until you find a routine that works for you. One of the biggest things I've learned throughout the course of, the, of this past 18 months is that you should not necessarily reinvent the wheel, but you definitely need to invent your own wheel. Don't do something simply because someone else does it. Do what works for you. In the realm of health and wellness, this is essential. Each of us are different, so we must be treated differently, and this is certainly not a one-size-fits-all approach. That is why body optimism is so important. You must believe that you can get better, even if the body-positive crowd tells you that you're just fine just the way you are. You could very well be, but you also very well could not be. Compare yourself to someone who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. That's rule number four, by the way. For example, I have high cholesterol running in my family history. 
it's not a problem for me now, but seeing as I just turned 24, but later it could be very much so. I'll probably have to trim down the amount of LDL I eat, mostly in the form of saturated fats. I don't need a lot of it anyways, but it will still have to adjust. Additionally, I'm a man. I'll probably need to start getting my ass probed by a strange man in a white coat to test for prostate cancer eventually. That's something that not men, enough men do. We are mustaches for a whole month instead, which is a decent compromise, I guess. Additionally, I lifeguarded for five years in an outdoor pool with a deck that was reflective as shit from the freshly poured concrete. Did I wear sunscreen? Yes. Did I wear it enough? Definitely not. I'm probably going to get skin cancer at some point in my life. It's just the way these things work, especially since skin cancer is probably the most prominent form of cancer out there. I'll need to eventually get work done for that too to make sure I'm doing my part to keep myself and the ones that I care about as healthy as I can be. You need to know these things about yourself. You must be unflinchingly honest. In the case of prostate and skin cancer, I think we all can be in agreement that most likely no one would want to get those. But the trimming of LDL cholesterol and other saturated fats are harder. I like steak and those things have a lot of those things in them. They taste good. But in order to decrease my personal risk for high cholesterol related incidents, I'll probably have to go easy on the salt and those type of food items. This is body optimism, not body positivity. Body positivity says you can eat all the damn salt and steak you want. We'll still love you anyways, and you should love yourself too. Body optimism says, nah, man, you're going to be fucking kill yourself if you drown yourself in salt and steak and butter and don't get your asshole probe tested for skin cancer. Don't be a dumbass. One is avoiding the problem. The other is nudging, subtlety aside, for you to fix it. Think about your habits. What do you need to do for your own personal self? What can be improved with optimism instead of positivity? What changes need to be made? Are they big or small? Well, I would start small. With things like this, particularly pertaining to things as important and sensitive as your health, baby steps are in order. Like I said, you don't need to recreate the wheel and attempt to do a homegrown version of The Biggest Loser in order to create the healthier lifestyle that you want for yourself. My mom was the person I initially learned this from. I'm fortunate to have had a resource as good as her in my corner for helping with this kind of stuff, even though not much of it pertained to me. My mom, as a licensed physical therapist, deals with people all the time who has easily preventable mental or health issues such as being fat and out of shape. I often asked my mom when I was growing up how in the hell she was going to help some of these people. They had bad everything. Bad lifestyles, joints, pain, you name it. How could my mom even make a dent? Half of the time, she had to use TheraBands in order to help lift them off the table. My mom is about 125 pounds soaking wet. Her lifting a 450-pound grown-ass man onto his back was probably a sight. But to my mom, it wasn't difficult at all. It was quite simple, actually. Walk more. Eat less garbage. Do the exercises I tell you to, no matter how petty and small they may seem. And you'll get better. The pressure on your joints will alleviate itself. You'll lose weight, particularly when you remove things like simple carbohydrates and substitute them in for people who have other decent compositions. Your pain will slowly, but surely, recede. Small things make a difference. It takes millions of snowflakes, not the social justice warrior type that couldn't do too much, to form a snowball that socks some kid in the face. It doesn't take that much to start small, either. My mom would tell someone after a session to park at the far end of the parking lot, eat out two less times per week, and do your daily exercises as she has written them to see her in a week. When they did those things, they usually improved and showed up and made maybe 449 pounds and a little more eager to listen to the damn doctor. But a lot of times, they didn't. At all. They would pay out the ass for therapy, most likely at your expense, more than likely at your expense probably as the taxpayer, but yet they would not do anything to propel the therapy's effects to help with the rest of their lives. My mom and many like her were wasted resources, blowing time on people that didn't give a shit unless they had a doctor's prescription and some body positivity. Only those that body optimism would give a shit about what physical therapists say. We should commend them. Body positivity practitioners don't care about the small things. They view them as insignificant. They don't see a benefit to them. Everything is fine, remember? Why would I do something so small in the grand scheme of things? I love myself. Shut up and obey. But everything was not fine, the narrator said. How do you expect to live life like that and have a chance of getting better if you can't even do the little shit right? You have to learn to walk before you can run or jerk off before you can fuck, or something like that. Anyways, 
Get the small things right because they always lead to big things like running a mile or fucking a hot guy. Invent your own wheel and see where it takes you. Take ownership and stock of your personal inventory and then go and deploy it in the way that works best for you. And you may be shocked at the results. Additionally, even though I would like to think that it doesn't need to be said, don't do things that are overtly bad for you. Don't drink every weekend. Don't drink obscene amounts of alcohol when you do drink. They've been linked to every type of cancer that has come into contact with, according to the research done by Dr. Safier. Don't smoke cigarettes or use tobacco at all. Don't vape. That doesn't have nicotine, but ten, in 10 years, you might be having a similar discussion. It's worse for our lungs and our overall health than we think. I think it does have nicotine. That's some shit and it makes it addictive. I don't know. Finally, you must make your mind as much of a priority as your body going forward, like we alluded to in the last podcast. Without the decision within yourself to craft a new mindset for your health and well-being, you risk slipping back into the same unhealthiness and body positivity that got you here in the first place. And we must not let this happen. Craft a mindset of body optimism. Always think that things can be better, because they always can be. That will drive you to improve. Body positivity simply confines you to the reality of the present. It doesn't care that reality is good or bad. If it's bad, you won't fix it. You'll just love yourself instead. And that's not constructive. Improvement is constructive. Ignorance to the reality of bad situations is inherently destructive. With something as valuable as your health on the line, you cannot afford to just be positive. It's not okay to be fat. It's not okay to not work out. It's not okay to treat your body, your personal temple, like garbage. It's not okay to burden our health system and your family with ailments that you can fix yourself. We all have different body types, and we should accept and celebrate them. But we should celebrate them correctly. Be the best you can be. Don't let anyone else tell you that you're okay the way you are when you clearly are not. Correct them afterwards and show them the way. You don't have to be a hard-ass lunk who works out every single day or an Instagram model that starves yourself. But you need to care about yourself. You need to value yourself, more importantly. Self-value, as we've discussed before, is the ultimate virtue. Body positivity can throw that off course. Body optimism, if implemented correctly, does not allow for that margin of error. Or videos of Lizzo twerking on the kitchen sink in a thong. That shit needs to go away, too. So, that is my spiel for this week, guys. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. I feel very strongly about the subject. If you couldn't tell, I, you know, pretty, pretty hard in the paint there in some, uh, in some areas, but I think it's warranted. So, that's my second podcast of the day. So, if you listen to both or listen to one or listen to any of this, thank you very much for listening. Have a great day, guys. I can dig it. Can you dig it? Own the day. Open your mind. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?